If you're able, you remain standing for a moment longer for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read four verses in the first chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. This is the Word of our Lord. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, making, be, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would use what is said here this morning for your glory, for the good of your church. We pray that our minds would be focused on the Christ who has saved us. For asking Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This uh, general letter to the Hebrews was written because this particular congregation that the human author is writing to was contemplating contemplating leaving the faith in the Lord. They were thinking that the struggles that Christ had brought to their lives were not worth remaining faithful to the Lord. They thought, you know what, we had it better before we believed in Christ. With the temple, we could go to the temple. Uh, Our businesses weren't persecuted. People weren't shunning us. We wanted to return to how things were prior to Christ. We we don't want to leave God. We don't want to abandon God. But we wanted to go to a pre-Christian, a pre-Christ way of worshiping God. That's really the point that the whole that the, the, the author is trying to make. There is no going back. The whole book explains that there is no going back to something other than Christ. Any sort of worship with God, to God, any sort of relationship with God that's apart from Christ is not a relationship, is not the worship of the true God of the Bible. There is only one way to God, and is through and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So to go back to something else is to go back to a false religion. It's to go back to a way that does not lead to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. And because of the seriousness of what this congregation was flirting with, the author of Hebrews starts this letter with a punch. You notice there's no introduction, there's no, hey, how are you? It was great to hear from you, I can't wait to see you. There's none of that. He goes straight for the main issue, because leaving Christ is the most serious issue that one can deal with. In essence, he says, do you think that what you had in Judaism without Christ is better than what you have now with Christ? Let me remind you, he says, of who saved you. And then at the end, let me know if you still want to go back to Judaism. And, and, And in the process, he unveils in these four verses the most magnificent Christ right before 
our eyes. And I hope that we can see that as we look at these four verses here this morning. The, the, the author here says that the things they loved about the Old Testament, the, uh, the, the bells uh, and the whistles, the, the smells, the sounds, the glory of the temple, all of that, they're great, they're exciting, and they came from God through His servants, the prophets. But now, He has spoken to us in His Son, the final and most glorious revelation of God. All those things that they were used to in Judaism is now being fulfilled and, and magnified in Jesus Christ. In the Son, we have the completion and fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament promised. And the book of Hebrews says, if they rightly listen to the prophets of the Old Testament, they must listen to the Son of God. Remember the, uh, the transfiguration? Jesus goes up the mount to pray and he brings Peter, James, and John. And all of a sudden, the, uh, Elijah and Moses show up. I always wonder how they recognized that it was Elijah and Moses and not something else. But somehow they, need, they knew that it was Elijah and Moses. And Jesus starts talking with them. And Peter, being Peter, says, Lord, it's great that we are here. Let's, let's build an altar, a little tabernacle for you, for Moses, and for Elijah. Remember that? And then what happens? All of a sudden, Elijah and Moses are gone. The heavens part and says, this is my son. You listen to him. Because it is to him that Elijah and Moses Point two, that our brothers and sisters in the Hebrew church had forgotten that. And if it was that, all that the, the author said, just that should be enough to cause anybody to reconsider whom they are going to listen to. But our guy doesn't stop here. He continues to unveil Christ by giving us, in two verses, seven different descriptions of whom the Son is. And Lord willing, we'll walk our way through them. And the first thing he says about Christ, the one that is our Savior, the one we are worshiping at this moment, the one who saved us by his blood and life, the one who is risen, is that he is the heir of all things. Look at verse 2. So God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. These words undoubtedly echo God's oracle in Psalm 2, verse 8, where there the psalmist says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. In verse 5 of chapter 1 here of Hebrews, the author applies uh, Psalm 2, verse 7 to Christ, but as the Holy Spirit applies Psalm 2 to Christ, he has more than just the earth as his inheritance. Do you notice that? He was appointed to the heir of all things, not just the earth. But all things, heaven and earth, this age and the age to come, the visible and the invisible, Christ has conquered all, all belong to Him by virtue of His life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And the truth is that Jesus Christ has received all things from God the Father because of His submission to the Father and victorious conquest over sin in his death and resurrection is taught throughout the Bible. It's not just here, but it's throughout the Bible. The Bible drips with 
that you can't read the Bible and come out of it thinking that Jesus is not victorious, that he's not the heir of all things. In Ephesians, for example, in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul says, He, God the Father, put all things under his feet, God the Son, and gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills in all in all. So the Savior, the Christ, the Son of God, the one that these people want to leave is the one who has inherited all things by virtue of what he has done. And the best news is this. Because of our union with him, we are co-heirs with him of all things. Romans says, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 17, that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father not only justified you, that is, declared you to be free of guilt of sins, God the Father not only instantly, definitely sanctified you, that is, declared you to be morally perfect in His sight, positionally, He also adopted you. If you are believing in Jesus Christ, you are the daughter, you are the son of the Most High God. And as the daughter and the son of the Most High God, you inherit all things with Jesus Christ. Paul repeats himself in Titus 3, 7 when he says, that we, having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So He owns everything, and through Him we are heirs with Him, and you want to turn away from Him, Hebrews? That makes no sense. He was appointed the heir of all things. Secondly, he is not only the heir of all things, but also the maker of all things. Look again at verse 2. God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, who he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Together with, with the Father, Jesus is the core architect of the universe. But not, not only the architect... But the engineer, he made all things to work. Now the word translated worlds here in, uh, in the New King James is not the common word for world. It's a much more inclusive word than the cosmos, the word that usually is used, uh, translated as world. It includes much more than just this world. It includes everything that is created, visible and invisible, space and time. The age, this age and the age to come, all was created by and through and for Jesus Christ. And we see that throughout the scriptures as well. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. That's a prologue of the Gospel of John. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created through him and for him. And we all know Romans eleven thirty six, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So, the Son who speaks to you is not only the heir of all things, but he also made all things, and you want to leave him? That doesn't make any sense. And you might think, no, I, I have no desire to go back to Judaism. I, I've never been there. I don't want to go there. But we all are tempted at times with leaving our faith. 
what are we leaving to? What is out there that's better than what Christ has for us? What is out there that's better than serving the one who created all things, who owns all things? What is out there that's better than inheriting all things through Jesus Christ? What is there out there that's better than seeing Christ as your Savior, being purified of your sin, having your heart changed to become more like Jesus Christ, and to be able to worship God as our Father, our Abba, our, our intimate Father. What is it that the world out there has to offer that might tempt you to go out there instead of being able to crawl onto your Father's lap and bring all your petitions to Him, knowing that He is going to hear? It is as crazy to want to leave Christ as it was for the Hebrews to want to re- go back to Judaism. But the, the author doesn't stop there. He also says that Christ is the brightness of the glory of God. Look at verse 3. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the power of His word. The Son in His incarnation is the radiance of God's glory. What do you think of when you think of glory? Uh, whiteness, brightness, uh, angels going, oh, whatever, however you think about glory, Christ is the radiance of God's glory. Not the radiance as a reflection, but a radiance as in the brightness of the body itself. Christ is not the moon that reflects the sun's rays. Christ is the sun. He's the one who is the actual brightness of the Godhead. This is the shining of God's glory as it really is. Is believer, Jesus Christ is God Himself, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were created, said our brethren, way back in 451 AD in the Chalcedon, Chalcedonian Creed. So if you want to see the glory of God, you must look at the sun. If you want to have any relationship with God, if you want to see God, if you want to pursue God, you must see the sun, the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the revelation of God's majesty. You cannot see the glory of God apart from Jesus Christ. So you say you want to go back to the Old Testament? A way of doing things because it was more glorious? The one speaking to you in the Scriptures is the very glory of God. He can't get any more glorious than Jesus Christ. You cannot get more glory, see more glory, experience more glory than through your faith in Jesus Christ. And you need, as a believer, you need to be convinced of that. There's nothing else out there that's more glorious than the Lord Jesus Christ. But he keeps on piling on. on. Fourthly, he says that Jesus Christ is the exact revelation of the substance of God. If you notice in verse 3, it says, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Again, the New New King James is a good translation, but here it doesn't do the best job in this particular phrase. The New King James says that the express image of His of his person, it should actually say something like the exact imprint 
of his nature or the very image of his substance, not a copy. He is the thing itself. The idea here is that Jesus Christ the very, is the very substance, the very nature of God embodied in flesh. There's no difference between the substance of God and the substance of Christ. They are both of the same stuff. One is the imprint of the other. If you, what you see in the Father is what you see in the Son. What the Father is, the Son is. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When Philip asks, Oh, if you show us the Father, we will know the Father. And he says, Philip, come on, man. Been here with three years with you. And he still says that you haven't seen the Father. Look at me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. F.F. Bruce in his commentary on Hebrew says, To see Christ is to see what the Father is like. Isn't there a Christmas hymn, song, chorus, carol that talks about Mary looking at the baby and beholding the face of God? How's it go? Oh, Mary, did you know? Yes, yes. Uh, That's true. A hundred percent true. When we behold Christ, we're beholding the face of God. Of God, this is stressed throughout the New Testament. Colossians 1.15, He is the image. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of our creation. Colossians 2.9.10, For in Him dwells all the fullness of Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on Him. In Philippians 2, 5 and following, he who was God himself did not think that it was something to grasp on to be God, but he lowered himself, humbled himself to be like us, that we might be saved. So the Son is of the same stuff as the Father. You see the Son, you see the Father. You behold the face of the Son, you behold the face of the, the Father. And yet, there are two different persons. One is not the other. One's the Father, the other one is the Son. And you say that you want to go back to the ceremonies of the Old Testament because you could see God better in the lamb being slain or the goat being burnt? Christ is the fullest revelation of God. Congregation of Jesus Christ, look at Him. Look at Christ and see God. And see God better than any other place. Now, it can't get any clearer than seeing Christ. If you want to know God, know Christ. Fifthly, the author continues and he says that Christ is sustainer of the creation. Look at verse 3 again. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the power, by the word of His power. So not only did Christ create all things, But he also sustains all things. That is, he makes sure things keep going. And the means he uses to sustain creation is the same he used to create it. The word of his power, or better yet, his powerful word. Paul says in Colossians, He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Brothers, sisters, 
Christ upholds the universe. But he doesn't do it like Atlas. Remember the picture of Atlas? He's carrying the world on his back. And it's a big burden to him. He's bent down. And he can't really... Uh, it, it's a struggle for him to carry the world. Or some think that the world, the ancient world thought the world existed, the earth exists in the back of a turtle. That the turtle's kind of struggling, holding that world together. That's not how Christ does. He holds the entire universe and he does it effortlessly. He carries all things forward on their appointed courses. I hope some of you go and get degrees in the sciences. I want to see physicists. I want to see chemists coming from. I want to see biologists. I want to see engineers. And I want us to talk about the laws of nature. I want us to talk about strong and weak nuclear forces. I want us to talk about the God particle. I want us to talk about strings theory. I want us to talk about Higgs boson. But behind all these laws is Christ. Why is it that we are not floating? Well, because gravity is holding us together at the average rate of 9.8 square seconds, a, um, um, uh, square meters a second, or square seconds a meter, whatever, wherever it goes. Yes, that's true. But behind that is the powerful word of Christ making sure, sure that gravity works the way it does. Is the word of his power that keeps everything together. Besides all these laws, is Christ actively making sure that everything does what God appointed them to do and that everything is moving to the completion of the ages. And this is the, the, the Savior that you want to abandon? This is the one who spoke to you and you want to turn away from him? That is illogical. It's unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense. If you want to go away from Christ, don't hide behind the idea of an intellectual position. If you want to turn away from Christ, don't hide behind the idea that somehow you're more intelligent and reasonable and rational. No, you're stupid. You're unintelligent. You, the, the scriptures make all the reason in the world. It is the unreasoned position to leave Christ. So don't hide behind intellectualism. Because all it is is foolishness on your part. Christ is the one, by the simple word of his power, that keeps everything together for his glory. And the guy doesn't stop, man. This pastor just keeps on going. He says that Christ is a purifier of sins. Again, at the end of verse 3, he says that he is upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so here we pass from cosmic functions of the Son of God to His personal relationship with mankind, from His universal function as the preserver of all things to His redeeming functions as the Savior of the people of God, the Redeemer of God's elect, the only mediator between God and man, the men, Jesus Christ. And here the author introduces uh, Christ's work as a high priest, which will be elaborated throughout the epistle of the Hebrews. It's probably the biggest, biggest theme of the epistle of Hebrews is Christ as the high priest. The one in whom God speaks in these last days, as verses 1 and 2 say, is the one who has, in the most effective way, cleansed you from your sins. Something that the Old Testament sacrifices could not do, they could only point to. Christ has effectively cleansed His people from their sins. He, he did that by once for all offering His own blood for you. 
It is a completed task, as indicated by the next phrase where it says he's seated, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's done. He's sitting. He's relaxed. He's done. He has saved you, brothers and sisters. You don't have to save yourself. You don't need to be looking for salvation somewhere else. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ has cleansed you of your sins. The author of Hebrews hits this truth from every possible angle in every possible way throughout the book. He says in chapter 2 that Christ is, has made propitiation for sin. It's done. He's done, done, done making propitiation for sin. Christ puts sins away so that God remembers them no more, no more in chapter 8. He brought he brought about redemption from transgressions in chapter 9. He annulled sin by his sacrifice in chapter 9. He, off, he bore the sins of his people and made an offering for their sins. He offered sacrifice for sins in chapter 10. He brought about remission of sins in chapter 10. All past tense. He has done it. Isn't there a Keith Green song that goes like that? It is finished. He has done it. Life conquered death. He has won it. It's true. He has done it. Leon Morris says, whatever had to be done about sin, he has done it. He has done it. You don't have to do it. Well, all he asks of you is to trust that he has done it. And you want to leave the only one who has done this? This is no, there's no other sacrifice. There's no other cleansing if you leave Jesus Christ. If you turn away from him, that remains, as chapter 10 says, no other sacrifice for sin. On your behalf. And seventhly, the author of Hebrews says that Christ is the exalted king. Look at the end of verse 3, where he says that when he's done all these things, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is enthroned on high. Jesus is king. The gospel says that we believe not just in the Savior Jesus, but in the Lord Jesus, the King Jesus. Jesus finished what he came to do, and now he sits at the right hand of God, ruling over the nations. We see that in verse 13 when the author calls, quotes Psalm 110 and says, Christ has fulfilled Psalm 110. Paul says the same thing with different words in Ephesians 4 verse 10 where he says, He who descended is Christ is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, and he might, that he might fill all things. So God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And that name is King Jesus. That is your Savior. So the, and the fact that he's seated is important. It tells us that his work is completed. Now, later on, the author is going to contrast Jesus sitting down with the Levitical high priesthood not being able to sit. In chapter 7 and 10, the author makes a big deal about the priest just having to go into the most holy place and then leave without being able to sit. Jesus has finished his work. He's able to sit. He doesn't have to stand. He's able to sit. Our souls are secure in his hand. In, in Top Lady's great hymn, he says, My name from the palm of his hand, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given. And I really love this last, this last sentence. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. Do you know what plot lady means? That if you are in Christ, sitting here today in this hot sanctuary, 
You're not any less secure in Jesus' hand than the souls of the departed in heaven. That your future is as guaranteed, your salvation is as guaranteed as those that are already in God's presence. More happy, surely, but not more secure. The fact that he's seated in the right hand of majesty is also important. This is the position of authority. It's a position of kingship. He is a royal high priest who sits on the throne of God in the most holy place. Now, remember that in the most holy place in the temple, there was only one thing. Remember what it was? There was no furniture except for one thing. And that thing was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was a seat. Remember how it's called? The mercy seat. Where once a year, the high priest would offer sacrifice standing and then leave. They would not even offer sacrifice. You pour blood and then leave. Brothers and sisters, Christ came in, offered himself, and then he sat down on the mercy seat to cover all your sins as king. Remember the vision of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? where King Uriah has just died, a king that ruled for over 50 years. Things have fallen apart as far as civil government goes. He is depressed. He goes to the temple. The Lord gives that vision. How does he see God sitting on a throne? John chapter 12 tells us that was Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of God. The only one that was allowed to sit on the throne of God was the one who came from David. And that was Christ himself, our king. So Christ sits enthroned on David's throne, ruling over all things, and especially over the Israel of God, that is, his church. And with this piece, then, we now have the complete picture of the, of the, the author gives in these verses. God has spoken in his Son, who is the eternal prophet, the eternal priest, and the eternal king. And you want to turn away from that? You want to turn away from Christ, the only hope of God's elect? The one who accomplished salvation? The one who rules over you? The one who gave himself for you? Christian, there's nothing better out there. The world has, doesn't have a more glorious Savior for you. Relationships are not more glorious than Christ. Careers are not more glorious than Christ. Doing whatever you want is not more glorious than Christ. Christ and Him lifted up is what's going to draw all people to God. And we as the church of Jesus Christ are the ones showing that glory to the world. Christ is the glory of God. And we are the bright reflectors of that glory. Remember what Jesus told us that we go about obeying God. We go about doing our good works. We go about glorifying Him in our lives. And people will see that. And what will they do? They will glorify our Father in heaven. That is Christ. The best. We're, we're going to go through 13 ways that Hebrews calls Christ better. We're not going to go to that. So don't worry about it. It's too hot for it to continue. <laughs> but the book of Hebrews says that Christ is better. Better than anything else. So do what the psalmist said. Psalmist said, Oh, taste and see 
how good God is. Take a bite of God, as it were, and see how God good is. God good, good God is in Jesus Christ, the glorious Son revealed to us in His Word. May He be glorified in us. May we not leave Him, but embrace Him even more tightly. That in times of struggles in our lives, instead of running away from Him, we run into His glory and embrace Him. Because His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. Let us pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Christ. Thank You that Your Word reveals Him to us. We pray that Your Spirit would be working in all of our hearts. That we might be running to Christ every moment of our lives. We thank you that he is our king, our savior, who completed all things for us, and that there's nothing better out there. Give us conviction of that, for asking Jesus' name. Amen.